Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Father, do open our eyes, but open our hearts. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, Genesis 41, verse 38. And Pharaoh said unto his servants, can we find such a one as this is, a man in whom the Spirit of God is? Pharaoh said unto Joseph, For as much as God has showed thee all this, there is none so discreet and wise as thou art. Thou shalt be over my house, and according to thy word shall all my people be ruled. Only a throne will I be greater than thou. And Pharaoh said unto Joseph, See, I have set thee over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh took off his ring from his hand, put it upon Joseph's hand, arrayed him in vestures of fine linen put a gold chain about his neck. He made him to ride in the second chariot, which he had, and they cried before him, bow the knee. He made him ruler over all the land of Egypt. Pharaoh said unto Joseph, I am Pharaoh without thee. Shall no man lift up his hand or foot in all the land of Egypt? Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath paneah And he gave him to wife Azaneth, a daughter of Potiphar, a priest of On. And Joseph went over all the land of Egypt, and Joseph was 30 years old. When he stood before Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Joseph went out from the presence of Pharaoh, went throughout all the land of Egypt. And in the seven plenteous years, the earth brought forth by handfuls, and he gathered up all the food of the seven years, which in all the land of Egypt laid up the food in the cities, the food of the field, which was about every city laid he up in the same. Joseph gathered corn as the sand of the sea, very much until he left numbering, for it was without number. And unto Joseph were born two sons before the years of famine came which Asenath, the daughter of Potiphar, a priest of own, bear unto him. Joseph called the name of the first word Manasseh, for God, said he, hath made me forget all my toil in all my father's house. And the name of the second called he Ephraim, that God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. And the seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended, and the seven years of dearth began to come according as Joseph had said. And the dearth was in all the lands, but in all the land of Egypt there was Bread, And when all the land of Egypt was famished, they cried, people cried to Pharaoh for bread. Pharaoh said unto the Egyptians, go unto Joseph, what he saith to you, do. Okay, now, so you remember that in our, in our last study, we saw how Pharaoh had went to all these great efforts to try to Egyptianize Joseph with his Egyptian name, with an Egyptian wife. And now in verse 50, we see how Joseph really becomes tied to the land because he has two children which are Egyptian by birth and also by mother. And I think that that at this point in Joseph's life, he thought to himself that I'm never going to see my family again. I'm never going back to, to my family. It's over. So he commemorates that in the naming of these two sons with kind of a, a statement in his first sons toward his painful past and a statement with the name of the second son to this very nice future that he looks forward to. So the, the view toward the painful past 
he concluded this when he called his name in verse 51, Manasseh. Manasseh, for he said, for God, said he, hath made me to forget all my toil in all my father's house. So in essence, the name of this child, you know, Manasseh, or maybe we would call amnesia, you know, know, forgetting, can't remember. And, And he says, God made him to forget two things, two things. The first thing is that he, he says, he made me to forget all my toil, all my toil. Very interesting word, all my toil, in the, in the Hebrew, amal, amal. And it, it's, it's an interesting word because it, it's used in Isaiah 53. It's used in Isaiah 53, 11, when it speaks about the Lord on the cross, when it says, and he shall see the amal, he shall see the travail of his soul and shall be satisfied. So the pain that's expressed in this word is like the pain of childbirth. Now, having never gone through childbirth, never want to, but it's called labor for a reason because it just wears the person out. The pain is just continual and it wears them out. My wife used to quote the verse. She says, you know, it says in the Bible that you forget all the pain when a man child is born. She said, that wasn't true. I remember it distinctly. But this is the word that he's used here to express his life up to this point. It's been a pain that's been wearing him out. And the second thing that he said that God made him to forget is also in verse 51 when he says, all my father's house. When he said all, he meant every part of his father's house. He meant that God had made him to forget all the pain all the envy, all the hatred that, that his brothers had caused him, all the betrayal that his brothers had caused him when they cast him in the pit and then to die, and then they said, no, let's make some money on him, and they pull him up and sell him as a slave. So it was a real blessing for Joseph to be able to forget all this pain that his brothers had caused him. And that's a blessing for us too, when God makes us to forget the times when we were betrayed, the times when we were envied, the times when we were hated also. And that's what God does for us. Like with Joseph, he mercifully gives us amnesia. He mercifully makes us forget. And if we haven't forgotten, if we haven't forgotten, it's great to pray this verse in verse 51 and to pray, Lord, do for me what you did for Joseph so that I can come to the point of saying, The words of Joseph, God has made me to forget all my past. The memories or the envy and the hatred and all that his brothers did to him is such a painful part of his father's house. But that's not the all of the all when he said all of my my father's house because it didn't just include the painful way that his brothers had treated him, but the all also included the wonderful times that he had with his father and his younger brother, Benjamin, Benjamin and Joseph shared the same mother, his younger brother, Benjamin, because Joseph had a very close relationship with both his father and his younger brother. And so when Joseph thought about this in his past, that made him very sad, very sad, because he thought, I'm never going to see them again. So God made Joseph to forget also all his father's house, which included forgetting about also his father and his younger brother. So in other words, when he said, God has made me to forget all my father's house, that includes the good and that includes the bad. And when we're seeing, seeing here now Joseph saying this, that 
that the bad way he was treated, we see a picture when he says he's going to forget the past and we're thinking about the bad day, how he was treated. We see a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Because how badly he was treated by the Jewish people. And yet he will forget all that. He will forget all their sins. And in fact, he's really looking forward The Lord Jesus is looking forward to this time that's spoken of when they're going to search for the sins of the Jewish people and they're going to come out empty. And it's described for us in Jeremiah 50, verse 20. In Jeremiah 50, verse 20, it's a very interesting description there about something that's going to happen where it says, in those days and in that time, saith the Lord, the iniquity of Israel shall be sought for. You'd think that wouldn't be so hard to find, but... It says, and there shall be none. And the sins of Judah, and they shall not be found. For I will pardon. I will pardon them. See, the Lord Jesus is going to remove their sins so effectively, remove them. As it says in in Psalm 103, verse 12, as far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. And then he's going to forget them so effectively as he said in Jeremiah 31, 34, Jeremiah 31, 34, I will forgive their iniquity for I will remember their sin no more. He's gonna cast them away. So effectively in Micah seven nineteen, Micah seven nineteen, thou will cast all their sins into the depths of the sea. He's gonna be so good at blotting out at erasing, as he said in Isaiah 44, 22, Isaiah 44, 22, I have blotted out as a thick cloud thy transgressions and as a cloud thy sins return unto me for I have redeemed thee. But unlike Joseph, unlike Joseph, there's one thing that the Lord has not done. He has not forgotten the people of Israel. He's not forgotten them because it says in Psalm 137 verse five, Psalm 137 verse five, if I forget thee, O Jerusalem, let my right hand forget her cunning. If I do not remember me, let my tongue cleave to the roof of my mouth. If I do not prefer, prefer Jerusalem above my chief, chief joy. So when a person believes in reformed theology, when a person believes in replacement theology that says that the church has replaced Israel, they've forgotten Israel. They've done what God says he will never do. But God, God calls his people to not forget them. And he commissions us to pray for them, not only, but it's true. In Psalm 122, verse six, Psalm 122, verse six, where he says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. They shall prosper that love thee. But also the commission is in Isaiah 62, six. Isaiah 62, six, which says, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem. Just think about this. This is God speaking to Jerusalem. And he's saying, I have set watchmen upon thy walls, O Jerusalem, which shall never hold their peace, day nor night. Ye that make men, now he switches from speaking to Jerusalem, now he's talking to us who make mention of the Lord. He says, you that make mention of the Lord, keep not silence and give him no rest till he establish, till he make Jerusalem a praise in the earth. That's our commission. Now, then Joseph goes ahead and and he has the second son and he names him in verse 52, Ephraim. And then he says, God hath caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. Ephraim means fruitful. So now 
So the first one's amnesia, the next one could be abundance, I guess, you know. But anyway, he, isn't it interesting? When you look at Joseph and he has these two sons and he names them here, how he attributes all that happened to him from God. He attributes all that happened to him from God. I mean, he says, God made me to forget. God caused me to be fruitful. And when you look at that, you can really see the mark of a believer, the mark of a person who follows the Lord Jesus Christ. It's all about the Lord Jesus. In essence, he's saying the words of James 1.17, James 1.17, which says, every good gift, every perfect gift is from above, which cometh down from the Father of lights, with whom is no variable, this neither is their shadow of turning. When a person is able to forget what's painful in their life, let's take an unbeliever who forgets and a believer who forgets. The unbeliever says, well, it was natural with the passing of time. You know, I forgot. Time heals everything. That's what the unbeliever would say. But the believer doesn't say that. The believer says the words of Joseph here. God made me to forget. You know, let's look at success in life. We'll take the unbeliever and we'll take the believer. So the unbeliever says, you know, it was hard work that made me successful. Or it was luck. I was just in the right place at the right time. But not the believer. The believer says, God caused me to be fruitful. So what's this difference between the unbeliever and between the believer? The language of the believer is God made me to forget and God caused me to be fruitful. That's what it means to line up with Proverbs 3.5. Proverbs 3.5, which says, Trust in the Lord with all thine heart. Lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him, and he shall direct thy paths. This is the meaning here in Philippians 4, 6, when it says, be careful, be anxious for nothing, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God. But then we see this fuller explanation in the naming of, of his son behind the name Ephraim, when he says, not just he didn't say God caused me to be fruitful, but he said God caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. It was in the land of my affliction. You know, the affliction, that's the Hebrew word oni that, that was used to describe the Jewish people later on when the Egyptians were really coming down hard of them. The Egyptians had their final solution in which they were trying to exterminate them through working them to death and killing all the male babies that were born. And it says in Exodus 3.7, Exodus 3.7, I have seen the affliction, I've seen the oni, the affliction of my people which are in Egypt. And that's how Joseph describes Egypt for himself. Now, we have to just kind of pause a little bit here and think about when did he say this? When did he say this? You know, he had, this is his second son. It's probably a couple of years after he's been in this position. A position of what? He's the ruler over all of Egypt. He's been this ruler over all Egypt for a couple of years at least. He lives in the palace. He lives in the palace. He had servants as many as he wanted, waiting on his every need. Whatever food he wanted, they would make it for him. Whatever pleasures, whatever comforts the most powerful nation in the world could give him, he could have. But he calls this state being in the land of his affliction, in the land of his affliction. Why would Joseph call Egypt 
that he ruled over and that Egypt had served him, why would he call that the land of his affliction? You know, if we won the lottery and we had more money than we could ever spend in our lifetime, and if we lived in the most luxurious estate in Rancho Santa Fe and had a, a big yacht down in San Diego Yacht Club and anything we could want, why should we join Joseph and call our situation the land of our affliction? Because Sodom was also a nice place. Sodom was a very nice place. It's a, it says it was well watered. In other words, it was very green. It was beautiful. But what I say, how did Lot feel when he was living in Sodom? It says for us in 2 Peter 2.8, 2 Peter 2.8, it says that that righteous man, that's referring to Lot, dwelling among them in seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing, seeing and hearing is what it says, in seeing and hearing vexed his righteous soul from day to day with their unlawful deeds. I mean, Lot felt that he was living in the land of his affliction from what he saw and what he heard. And his soul was vexed, was troubled. And when Joseph saw all the sin of Egypt, that afflicted his soul. His soul was afflicted. He saw all of the idolatry in Egypt and that afflicted his soul. He saw the sexual immorality that afflicted his soul. And when we see all the horrible sins around us, which has now risen to a level of open displays of horrible sexual perversions that afflicts our souls. And though we might be successful in this world, maybe the world's been good to us, we, can, we say with Joseph, verse 52, God has caused me to be fruitful in the land of my affliction. I mean, the land of Israel today, it's a beautiful land. And God told Ezekiel, go into Jerusalem and be on the lookout for men who do two things. He says, look for the men that cry and sigh, that cry and sigh. And he said, put a mark on their foreheads. That's what he said in Ezekiel 9.4, Ezekiel 9.4. The Lord said unto him, go through the midst of the city, through the midst of Jerusalem, and set a mark upon the foreheads of the men that sigh and that cry for all the abominations that be done in the midst thereof. I mean, these are God's people. Those are God's people. They're the ones that see all the sin, they sigh and they cry. And they say, we're living in the land of our affliction, our soul affliction. David called it a grief. A grief, he said in Psalm 119, 158. Psalm 119, 158. I beheld the transgressors and was grieved because they kept not thy word. He wept, David wept over the transgressors when he said in Psalm 119, 136, 119, 136, rivers of water run down mine eyes because they keep not thy law. And the great king of Israel, King David, would, he would join himself with Joseph and say, I'm in the land of my soul affliction. And he had everything King David did. And that's why the wealthy Abraham, the wealthy Abraham, not you Abraham, another Abraham, a wealthy Abraham that could have afforded to build several houses in the land. He chose to live in a tent. He lived in a tent because it says in Hebrews 11, 9, Hebrews 11, 9, by faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country dwelling in tabernacles, living in tents. 
with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs of the same promise. For he looked for a city which had foundations, whose builder and maker is God. See, Abraham looked at the people around him as he looked at Sodom and he said, I'm living in the land of my soul affliction. And so I'm gonna live in a tent and I'm just gonna go from place to place and I'm not gonna put down any stakes of a house. You know, we should all wear these on our lapel. We should all wear a tent, a little tent insignia because it's a statement. It's a statement that of Hebrews 13, 14. Hebrews 13, 14. Here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. And thank the Lord that he has not left us here in the land of our affliction with an empty hope of going to heaven because he said in John 14, 2, John 14, 2, in my father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. What a wonderful title. Four words, a place for you a place for you, a place where when we look at the sin around us in the world, we know that we don't belong here. We don't belong here. So the Lord says, I go to prepare a place for you. I go to prepare a place for you because this is the land of of our soul affliction. And so therefore, the Lord says, wait, watch, wait, hope. He says in Luke 12, 35, Luke 12, 35, let your loins be girded about. In other words, be ready to go and your lights burning, and you yourselves like unto men that wait for their Lord when he will return from the wedding. Then when he cometh and knocketh, they may open up to him immediately. Blessed are those servants whom the Lord, when he cometh, shall find watching. For verily I say unto you that he shall gird himself and make them sit down to meet and will come forth and serve them. So the story is told of a pastor in England, and he was visiting a retirement home. And there was this old man sitting by the fireplace there. And he was tapping his foot nervously. And so the pastor went up to him and said, what are you doing, sir? And the man replied, waiting, sir, (laughs) waiting. I'm waiting for my Lord to return for me. And that's the way we should be. Now, we read what happened in Joseph in verse 53. The seven years of plenteousness that was in the land of Egypt were ended and the seven years of dearth began to come, according as Joseph had said. Now, the years of plenty, the the good times, they had ended, and now starts the years of famine, the bad times. So, and when God speaks this word, the, the good times stop, the bad times start. And man has no defense, man has no defense. This famine, when famines come to this area, it's terrible. We read 2 Kings 6.28, when famine came to Israel, that it says, the king said unto this woman, said unto her, what aileth thee? And she answered and said, this woman said to me, give thy son that we may eat him today. Can you imagine? And we will eat my son tomorrow and boiled my son and we did eat him and so forth. The the ugly details continue. But this is a time when it wasn't safe to be a child because you were a meal if you were a child, kidnapped and boiled. And so, this is terrible what happens to the famine. So they begun to come, and when the years began, it says, according as Joseph had said. Another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages 
can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800-247-3051. Do you believe God created the earth? Do you believe God created you in his image? Then come celebrate Museum Day at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. Museum Day is a Christian family festival event with life-size dinosaurs, games, rides, contest prizes, fair food, vendor booths, petting zoos, live animal encounters, and super science experiments for kids, along with world-renowned speakers Tom Cantor, Eric Hoven, David Reeves, Russ Miller, Kevin Conover, Dr. John Baumgartner, and more. Free admission to the museum and all speaking engagements for you and your family and entire church family are free. The Creation and Earth History Museum is located off of Highway 67 and Woodside Avenue in Santee next to the Santee Drive-In. So bring your family and friends on Saturday, November 4th from 10 a.m. to 5 p.m. and strengthen your faith at Museum Day. For more information, call us at 619-599-1104 or creationsd.org, creationsd.org.